Hello everyone and welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It covering the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. Yay! My name is Megan and I should be out of my pajamas by now. <laughs> my name is Emily and I'm not going to say I should be doing anything. It's New Year's Eve. It's New Year's Eve. <laughs> we are having a good time. And we're doing a podcast. We're doing a podcast. All right. Today we are covering Interlude 11, New Rhythms. And then we're into part four with chapter 59, Fleet. Chapter 60, Veil Walks. Chapter 61, Obedience. And chapter 62, The One Who Killed Promises. And it's a lot of chapters, but they're all, they're all they're pretty all tiny. Yeah. yeah. So Emily, what were your thoughts on this week's reading? It's going so fast. Like, okay. Okay. This is going to be maybe kind of a silly analogy. But for me, sometimes when I watch sequels, it's kind of hard because whoever is directing the sequel or the storyline just doesn't fit with the spirit of the first, you know? And so it's like, it's nice, like, the characters are back, but, like, it's not the same adventure. It's not the same experience. But I don't feel that with this. Like, every time people get together and weird stuff happens, like, Khaled and Shalon have a conversation. It doesn't feel weird. It just feels like a normal continuation of the story. And that's what I feel we're getting in this set of chapters is, like, things... The world is continually expanding. It's already so big. Mm -hmm. But the world is continually expanding, but it doesn't feel overwhelming to me. Nice. Nice. Thank you. So, how's Ashenai doing? Not great. <laughs> what? She feels fine. <laughs> the screams in her head don't mean anything, Megan. Yeah, it's not important that her own voice is screaming at her in her head. Yeah, yeah. You know what this makes me think of? What? Animorphs. <gasps> oh, yes. When Cassie, when Cassie animorphs into an ant. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Which is terrible and awful and, yeah. Real bad. Uh, so anyway, um, Esh and I loves being in storm form and loves it. Now she loves the feel of her shard plate when she's in storm form. Yeah. Huh. I find it interesting that the way Brandon skips ahead time, a lot of very important things have happened between this chapter and the last chapter that all happened off page. Like, She's gotten 200 more people to do Stormform. Her sister Venley has Stormform. Like, there has been a movement with the listeners. And the thing is, like, it was very important, but we didn't need to see it. And I really like where the action picks up. I say as a new reader, we know it's going to be bad. And I appreciate that Brandon is not... sure it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that Brandon's not drawing out the tension. It's just like... Here, it got worse overnight and you didn't even know. Like, I, I like that. Yeah. I, I think we've talked about it before, but one of my least favorite ways to open an episode is a really exciting... In Meteor Rose? No, it's a really exciting thing or like they're at the edge of the cliff or, you know, the bomb is about to go off and then, you know, the title credits come and then the next scene is 24 hours earlier. Like, you I know that's what a media res is, right? Listen, can not everyone does. Okay. It's just what I said. Oh, a media res? And you said no. And I was like, oh, maybe she means something different. I, and then you <laughs> described exactly what it was. 
Dan Media Res spent in the middle of the story, and yeah. it just like goes from that point. You no, don't no. jump back. You start in the middle of the story. Oh, you start in Media Res. Got it. Center, and then. You jump back and explain the rest of it. I don't like that branch of media res. Branch! 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 Okay. Cranch! 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 Yeah, you're thinking in media res was enter lately verly. Yes. That's something different. That's enter lately verly. Got it. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so I'm, I'm... Wanted to make sure everyone knows I admire the way that this has been set up. I think it's really good writing and... Brandon Sanderson, you just, you make me crazy. Venley has Stormform. Mm-hmm. Also, something is that it is now a struggle. It's a bore for Eshenai to attune the old rhythms because oh, she has some new rhythms. new rhythms in her head, which... Mm. Okay, listen, this might sound, again, silly, but the idea that there's more, but at what cost? Esh and I cycled through the new rhythms, careful not to hum them. The others weren't ready yet. You were asking me about this, and I think you asked me off podcast. I did. Um, I was. I can't remember if I asked you either, how does that work? Or if you were to film it, how would you show mm-hmm. the difference? Because they talk about, hum, you know, attuning to concern or regret or anxiety or excitement. Like, mm-hmm. if it's an internal rhythm or if it's the way that their voice is inflect or... What I would love to do is, again, I'm not affiliated, <laughs> uh, is to develop a conlang like Klingon or Elvish mm-hmm. with a conlang creator that also speaks a tonal language like Mandarin or Cantonese. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Even in English, we have, like, there's certain kinds of theatrical rhythm, like iambic pentameter. You, let's see. It's clear when someone is speaking in rhythm a thing that isn't a natural phrase. That's a rhythm that mm-hmm. we, like, have in our poetry, our iambic pentameter or whatever. And so... I feel that the listeners have, like, tonally, because they are, like, a very musical language, but they have certain rhythms that they speak to, like, this. Ooh. And and so, like, you could sense different... I don't know. I, I just... I want to work on it so <laughs> badly! Ugh. I have to keep leveling up. I have to keep improving my skills. Whatever Maybe someday. It takes. But I... I was going somewhere with this, and then I just got so I excited asked, about. Yeah, I asked about. Yeah, that. do you remember in the very first Mistborn? Wait, book, is this Inquisitorville? No, you mean Scadriel. The planet Scadriel is not called Inquisitorville. No. It's important to me that you know this. In the very first book, which you haven't read for a while, right? Marsh is teaching Vin how to use. Uh, I want to say it's bronze. Okay. And bronze is the allomantic metal that lets you detect other metals. I believe bronze and copper are opposites. Mm-hmm. Sorry if I get this wrong. Copper you lets say you... you want to work on this. Hey. <laughs> that is honestly the meanest thing oh, no. you've ever said. So because um, I haven't... mean it like that. <laughs> so I'm hoping my memory is still good. Okay. But anyway, bronze lets you sense when someone's doing allomancy. Copper lets you hide the fact that people around you are doing allomancy. Mm-hmm. 
pretty sure they're called smokers and seekers. Anyway, bronze lets you hear a pulse and the different speed of the pulses lets you sense which type of metal is being used. Mm-hmm. And you know Michael Biancardi, who wrote our opening I and closing song, The Passing Storm? He and I tried to work for a while on, I was trying to, I wanted to write a Mistborn song mm-hmm. that worked like a fugue, that worked like a round, oh. where each metal would have its note. Bing, 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 bing. Bing, 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 bing. And like that each of them would have their own rhythm and you can layer them all on top of each cool. other. Cool. Which should have happened do that. with the Avengers theme songs. Yep. We'll die on that hill. I love it when two leitmotifs come together and they make a whole complete whatever. But I think it would be super cool if the music for Mistborn played that off not saying that like copper would have its own but that like you would pick a note on the octave that like c4 is bronze and c5 is copper and anyway Mm -hmm. we gave up because there were 16 medals and they got a little complicated (laughs) (laughs) but maybe maybe someday anyway so eshina is trying to ignore the screaming in her head And she is talking to the five. Rightfully concerned of all the changes that have happened so quickly. And that um, Eshenai seems to be moving ahead and doing things without... Consulting the five. Consulting the five or getting their approval or anything like that. And Eshenai brings up the fact that now they should be the six instead of the five. Because there's a new form. There's a new form. and But we find out that Eshenai's plan is to get everyone to take storm form... Because it's been confirmed that when you are in storm form, you can summon high storms, which we see that she's a little one. She does a little one, very storm from X Men vibes. Mm-hmm. How many high storms are left before what humans call the weeping, what the listeners call the lull? Uh, she said there are two. And the plan is to draw the Alethi forces out onto the plains during the weeping. This is the, their overall plan. And because they think they will be safe, they think there will not be any high storms that they need to be protected from. Mm-hmm. And the reason Esh and I wants everyone to become storm form is that they will then meet the Alethi on the plains and call forth a high storm and decimate their enemies. Yeah. And they don't have to draw the humans out. The Alethi are planning to march during That's the weeping. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Esh she's like, this plan is perfect and amazing. And there's literally nothing bad about it. (laughs) And somebody asks her, you know, how does this form make you feel? And so she is trying, she is trying to speak to peace to reassure him. But when she attunes peace, that is the voice that is screaming in her head. Mm -hmm. Hanley, what's going on with that? No, I don't like it. What? Tell me more. Okay, because it seems very parasitic to me. Uh-huh. Whatever is happening, she is a zombie wasp or whatever, has been taken over by something else. There is a part of her, I think, that realizes what has gone on, but it has been, like, shut off and closed mm-hmm. out. And so when she attunes to peace, I think things become, the way I read it, things would become quieter and more calm, allowing that voice to be heard. Ooh, I like that. Rather than, like... 
she's being if she's angry or she's anxious or whatever and there's more noise or the new rhythms are covering things up Mm -hmm. so that's how i that's how i read it yep so she's explaining to davim that this is like the change from dull form to one of the other forms it is that much of an upgrade Mm -hmm. but abronai is like hmm you got red eyes don't we know something about the red eyes? We do. Eshenai. We know that that's not good, Eshenai. And she's like, I'm sure, I'm sure it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's not for, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like red, red. It's more of like a purpley red. It's different. It's not green. It's a it's really blue. dark pink. It's not yeah. even red. <laughs> Ooh, so the dull form member of the five is the one who's like, we shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And Eshenai's like, don't listen to them. Because if Eshenai's like, oh my gosh, you know how like when we were dull form and then we came to the other forms and now I'm from this to this? Like she literally just said dull form is so far below me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, so everybody's going to consider, everybody's going to talk and her and Davim are going to chat about it later. Well, Venli shows up and her and Eshenai have a confrontation. Oh, yes, because Eshenai points out you knew that this would happen. You knew that the storm form would change, like yeah. change, change. And Vanley's like, yeah, I did. Hey, <laughs> how does she know that? I, okay, I would initially think maybe she tried it herself first, but I don't think she would have changed back had she yeah. changed into storm form first. Eshenai asks her, how did you discover this? It didn't come from the songs. There is more. Venley did not speak. Venley just waves Waves it off. Doesn't even listen. Oh, we find out one of the new rhythms is spite. Yeah, all the new rhythms seem to be like derision, ridicule, whatever. Like, not nice stuff. Oh, ho, ho, ho. How curious. Oh. So are there like different branches? Like, over here's the nice emotions, and then over here's the angry emotions, and over here's the set. Like, do you be... You're in tune with different sets of... I keep telling you there's more than one kind of magic on Roshar. And you're like, no, there's not. And I was like, what do you mean, no? Superman gets his powers from Earth's yellow sun! I don't think that's right. Have you even seen Superman too? Okay, so Eshenai doesn't even really try to convince the five. She just... she. They're off talking. She goes to all the gathered Parshendi. Sorry, she says, listeners. She says, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll discuss this later and come to a conclusion. And then she just does what she wants, which shocked me. You tell them what happened. I interrupted you. Uh, yeah. She goes to the gathered listeners and says, I will take anyone who wants to go into the storm and change. Mm-hmm. The five are frightened. They want to deny you of this power, but it's your right you have rights. You can choose. They can't tell you what form to be in. Oh, and then she like summons a tiny storm in her hands, which, which visually I'm sure looks amazing. Does Marie do any of any pictures of this? I'm not going to tell you, but I've she's, read it. She's drawn I, listeners. Yeah. Okay. I I, I, I don't think I don't know specifically if she's, this. I don't scene. know if she's drawn specifically this scene. Okay. I'd want to see this one animated. <laughs> Me too! <laughs> <laughs> a 
Okay, but but listen, did you see the new Predator movie, Prey? No. Okay. The Predator in that film is a really great mix of practical effects and CG. Mm-hmm. A lot like Vecna in season four of Stranger Things. Yeah. Where you have an actor in prosthesis, like as detailed as you can get, and then they just like add additional fine motor acting or in Vecna's case the moving texture Mm -hmm. CG oh my gosh here's a cool thing about Vecna Mm -hmm. they built the costume in 3D first they modeled it in the computer okay and then they 3D printed it onto their actor and then they and so that way they already had a fully detailed version in the computer that was accurate to their live action costume that they could like work with animation and do instead of having to Build it first and scan it in, which is the way that like you typically do. So like, have you guys watched the Lord of the Rings behind the scenes? From I was 20 just years about ago. to say, if I could guess anything she's that's gonna come out of her mouth next, it's gonna be the Lord of the Rings behind the scenes. Or do you know what? Okay, fine, I'll branch out <laughs> the Ice Age behind the scenes. So, all right, we're fully on a tangent now into CG animation. <laughs> Every computer animated character is a graph. Mm-hmm. It is. X, Y, Z coordinates. And so obviously the more detail something has, the more points on the graph it has. Mm -hmm. And so back when we first were getting CG animation, you've probably seen that grid animation of a hand that's just made out of a bunch of triangles. Yep. That was Ed Catmull's hand. Listen, I'm not (laughs) going to tell you the whole history of CG. Okay, focus, Megan. Here's just the one cool thing I wanted to share. Who's Ed Catmull? He is one of the founders of Pixar. He had a computer science degree from the University of Utah. And cool. he's uh, one of his senior projects was creating a computer graphics animated hand. Cool. Okay. I'm sorry. You don't know what the Ed Catmull hand is? But you don't even know what the Renderman teapot is. I do know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Ice Age. I got this. Because of computer animation was new, processing power was very slow, to build something in the computer vertice by vertice, graph point by graph point would take so long, Mm -hmm. they would mold, they would sculpt their characters ahead of time in clay Mm -hmm. in the physical world. And they would take one of those fancy scanners and would scan it into the digital world and then like rig it and animate it. Okay. Okay, focus, Megan, focus. All this to say, it looks cool. I think you could have really amazing listener prosthetics with visual effects artists doing an acting pass on top of it. Mm-hmm. Any fantasy adaptation these days is half animated with live actors, or maybe even 80% animated with live actors. So when I'm like, do I want to do it animation or live action? I would love to do it full animation, but. Audiences are weird about that, and they're like, as long as the actors are humans, I will accept animated anything. (laughs) You guys know the planet Tony Stark fought Thanos on isn't a real place, right? (laughs) That, like, it's just a human actor and the rest of the movie is animated. Even the outfits in Infinity War are animated. They are animated. Sorry. Back to this now. So, yeah, if somebody's like, do you want to see animated Stormlight? I'm like, any adaptation of stormlight is going to be 80 percent animated hi Libby. she just came and sat the book circle circle back circle back then lee is like hey 
this is too aggressive. This is too abrupt. You're gonna you're gonna divide us all. Mm-hmm. And Ashley's like, it'll work. I don't, you know, you don't know everyone as I do. So she is gonna talk to some of our friends from an earlier. She's gonna talk to some of our friends from an earlier interlude. She's talking to a, a war pair that we know from an earlier interlude. Who yes, is it? Bali and Thud. So close. Bila. Bila. Bila and Thud. He's always worn war form except for two weeks when he mated with Bila. Adorable. Hang out with me, Thud. I'm in mate form all the time. <laughs> anyway, he is worried about this. Mm-hmm. He hums to resolve to indicate he trusts Esh and I, but his eyes are telling a different story. <sighs> now we're starting to get some political, I say political, that not, might not be the right thing, but we're getting some clearly, some clear signs that the listeners, okay, from what little I know about the listeners, they mm-hmm. seem very honest. And in this chapter, people are clearly deceptive. lying. Yes, yeah. deceptive. And so the idea that is being either introduced in the culture or this form is making it a necessity to for safety reasons for people to Mm -hmm. because we find out later that um esh and i is just like we need to go and find out how many people are willing to be in storm form and we're just counting just so we know how many we just so we know how many soldiers we'll have for the final battle but we find out that her plan is to bring everyone together who did not agree to do that and kill them like, hey, that's not great. It's not great. Like, get rid of the competition sort of a thing. And I loved it. I I, yeah. I loved the sudden turn this has taken. I, I love that. I feel like with Kaladin and, like, Dalinar and Shallan, like, we've kind of been brought along little by little into the story until we, like, really understand mm-hmm. the world. And I love with this Eshnai chapter that it's a different speed it's a different rhythm it's a different pace hey Hey. (laughs) so yeah we've we've only had esh and i for like four previous interludes Mm -hmm. we see her at the beginning and the end of each interlude we've had esh and i for such a small amount of time but we already like know her so well and we've gotten so much detail and insight into the listener's culture that even we can tell something's bad real bad that's Again, that's such a great character. I'm going to, I don't even want to say arc because I don't feel this is a character arc. This is not something that Esh and I herself would Mm -hmm. do. But I I love how Brandon has set this up where exactly like you said, like even knowing her for a few chapters, we understand there are big implications to this. And I just, Mm -hmm. I I love it. Now here's something I want to bring up where, you know, Thud is humming to resolve to indicate he trusts her, but mm-hmm. there's something different in his eyes. Was there really something different, or is Esh and I is part of this form's <gasps> perception paranoia? Ooh. I like both options. Yeah. I don't know that I want one to be true over the other. Because we've we've seen how there's that saying that the first thing you think is how you were raised, but mm-hmm. the first thing you say is who you are trying to be as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've heard her thoughts as she's like looked around the city and how she's felt about people earlier in the book. Here she says, the five all but handed this to me. For years, I've been absolute leader of our armies and every person among us with a hint of aggression has been given to me as a soldier. 
And that may sound true, but I don't think that feels true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to maybe maybe lend some more credence to the paranoia thing is she does mention later on that the 200 soldiers that she picked were lower base soldiers and ones that don't have a lot of critical thinking ones Mm -hmm. that she wouldn't have to worry about them uprising that thread comes through several times of hey i'm i'll be worried about this person when they hit storm form because they will be not a foe but they will be an opponent sort of a thing yeah so so here's the thing venley is the one who brings up the idea that they'll have to kill everyone who won't change Mm -hmm. and venley's like not now we'll have to wait and venley's like that's sloppy i thought you commanded their loyalty do not question me and and uh venley is humming to spite and eshenai is already like she would attempt to seize control it's so sad That, uh, and it was the realization, it's an uncomfortable realization that her sister wants to take control away from her. And for the first time, Eshenai herself wanted to be in control. That didn't feel like her. Not at all. And then in italics, none of this feels like me. I, the new rhythms beats surged in her mind. Mm -hmm. Something is actively taking part in Eshenai's decisions (sighs) that is not Eshenai. Anyway... Abernai, a member of the five, is shouting as the soldiers are dragging him away. The guy who's always in mate form. Mm -hmm. And in an earlier Eshenai chapter, she admired his control over this form because it's something that was very difficult. Like when she was in mate form, she didn't like it at all. Mm -hmm. And it was a real sacrifice of Abernai that he's always like this. So previously, Eshenai thought positively of his self-control over this. And the new Eshenai says, transforming him would have been dangerous. He has too much control over himself Mm -hmm. and he would be a threat to her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so like, Yes, these new forms have incredible strength and awesome new power, but the emotional change that goes with it is like every single one of them thinks that they are the best Mm -hmm. and they are the chosen. Yeah. That's not great. No. Anyway, guess what? The rest of the five agreed. They were reluctant. They agreed. And she says, do you know what, though? Take Zone, even though she agrees, Put her with the dissenters anyway. I don't trust her to do what is needed. Mm -hmm. This is real bad. Okay, so this kind of reminds me a little bit. I know this sounds silly, but we went and saw the musical Matilda. (laughs) My mummy says, I'm a miracle. It's on Netflix now. It's on Netflix now. It is wonderful and darling and great. And they really play up. I haven't read the book for years, but they really play up in the musical the idea of grown-ups not being fair and changing their mind after they say one thing and mm-hmm. doing another thing. Her parents, the trench bowl, that sort of thing. And that's just what this reminded me of is like Esh and I saying, oh, if you do this, then nothing bad will happen to you. Oh, if they've all agreed, I still change my Like they're so unpredictable which brings me anxiety, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, you can't have, and we'll get into this later. I think later, even on in the book, but having an unstable leader, um, I 
I don't expect anyone to be perfect, to, to be able to rule, to be perfect. You can't. You can't have that. We're all human. We're all fallible, that sort of thing. But the idea of being so unfair and so unfeeling, I think you have to have some humanity. I'm not saying that the listeners are not human, but, but I mean you, yeah. you need some the, compassion. The human, the listener equivalent of humanity. <laughs> yeah. Listenanity. Yeah. And so the idea, if all of them, like, if her plan had worked and she had murdered all the dissenters, I feel like their ranks would have dwindled anyway if everyone is trying to get on top. Like, those crabs, you put them all in a bucket and they just pull each other down. It, it's, it's about to be bad. It's about to be a disaster. It's about to be a slaughter. Because, so Thud comes up to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And... She's she's talking to him. He's humming to consideration, and she can tell that he's faking it because mm-hmm. it's too forced. It's too much. It's too perfect. And then she says, it's the red eyes. I've instilled in him and some of the others of my own division too much of a fear of our gods. <gasps> Which they didn't want to come back. Yeah. That's the whole that that's the whole reason they killed Gavilar. Mm-hmm. Okay, this might be okay. You go out into the storm, you take a specific spren, which Venli has gathered enough for thousands of people yeah. to transform. Like Venli is gonna make this happen. And if spren okay. Our we know Sill says she's a piece of a god as an honor spren. Okay, we know Syl is a piece of God. Yes. Um, are all Spren pieces of deities or just honor Spren? We have talked about this before. Okay, I don't remember. It's all right. It's all right. Not all Spren are of honor. Okay. There are Spren of, who is the other God you know? I know it. You do. Oh, um. Oh, DM. Yeah. Thank you. The dog from Garfield. <laughs> There are spren of odium, and we've we've seen some of them already. And they're the red lightning ones, mm-hmm. which is what she has. And we've also seen spren with red eyes mm-hmm. that we should keep an eye out for. So is odium their god that they don't want back? Rafo? Rafo, okay. Sparkly Rafo. Yes. I feel like you just confirmed it, though. I you didn't. sparkly Rafo did. I, sparkly Rafo means you are... Very on the right track, but you don't have all of the info you need yet. So, Thud is like, hey, um, this just looks like a group of people who don't agree with you. Mm-hmm. Did you notice your mother is in this group? <sighs> Which her mom has, I mean, the listener equivalent of dementia. How, yeah. how could, what kind of threat could she be? But again, I... It's danger. This it's just a bad situation. I we almost hit this over the head too many times. It's just a bad situation. So Eshenai says to Thude that listen, I know you're worried about this. You and the rest of my old division, you're the soldiers I trust. You you round everybody up and you watch out for them because I trust you. Because she's like, oh, I have to kill my division now. This is this would be like Kaladin just suddenly deciding to slaughter all of Bridge Four. Mm-hmm. Well, but what does Thud do? Thud, my dude. What does he do? He escapes. Prison Everyone, break. yeah, they they run into the 
they run into the chasms. Yeah. And uh, Eshenai is like, great, we'll just track him down and kill him. Like, she's not even going to let them get away that way. She's giving me very Sadius vibes, you know. In his red armor. In his red armor, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there goes Thude. Ugh. Ugh. There's a little sister-on-sister sister violence. Do not challenge me, Eshenai said, grabbing her sister by the neck with a gauntleted hand. Ugh. But Venli is just like, you kill me, you'll lose everything. You need me. Like, Venli has has hidden some information. She hasn't... She's made herself more valuable by not sharing the information she has. Mm -hmm. But I want to know. Can you show me? I want to know about these listeners like me. (laughs) Tell me more. Please show me. Something's familiar about these listeners like me. Mm. All right. Part four, the approach. The approach. We've got some different epigraphs now. Yes. So the first epigraph for chapter 59 fleet reads as, I'll address this letter to my old friend as I have no idea what name you're currently using. Does this remind you of anything? Yes, it reminds me of the beginning from book one, or Way of Kings, Mm -hmm. where there's the letter. Yeah. So you should know that this is a reply to the letter from the Way of Kings. (gasps) Yes! I love that. So this is whoever Wit was writing to in the first book. Okay. Anyway, Kaladin's in prison. Kaladin's in prison, and it's so much cushier than anywhere he's ever been, and he hates it. He's so bad. Prisons are too <laughs> nice. Too nice. Ugh. And he's feeling a little claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he's got Sill, and he's got people that come feed him, and that's it. Like, there's no window from what I'm able to see. You know, he's just there waiting. Mm-hmm. I want I want to flag something happened. Yes. Um so he's been there for three days already and he hears it just says a disturbance, um, but he can't tell what it is. Um and they're shouting and then it stops. And he asks like a maid about it later and she doesn't say what it is. So we we don't know. I'm assuming someone's coming to try to see him. That's what I assume. Because okay. no one has come to see him yet. Okay. Who would it have been? I'm going to guess it was Moash. Okay. That's what I'm going to guess. Okay. Because I feel like they would have let Dalinar through. They would have let anybody else through. Mm-hmm. But not a Bridgman. Not a Bridgman. So he is trying. He's thinking about he could maybe break out of prison if he could get some stormlight. Because the, the spheres, the lights in the lanterns are a little too far Unless he, like, really tries, but he hasn't done Mm -hmm. that yet. And he's like, I might need to break out, although breaking out would be against the law. And then Syl says, I'm no high spren. Laws don't matter. What's right matters. Now, think back, if you will, to someone who is like, goodness doesn't matter, only laws matter. The darkness is that his spread? Maybe there's a connection there. 
And then Scylla's like, but you came to prison willingly. Why would you leave now? And Kaladin says, I won't let them execute me. Do you think they would kill him? I think Elokar would let that happen as a way for him to save face, not mm-hmm. that justice would be done. And Sil is like, Dalinar said they wouldn't. And what is Kaladin's reply to that? He let it happen. <laughs> and he says, uh, he's the same as the others, Kaladin growled. And then Sil comes over. She goes, say that again. Like, he, and then he realizes he can't lie to Sil. Yeah. So he's, you know, so glass onion. <laughs> There's a line that Benoit Blanc says that says, it is a dangerous thing to assume that speaking without thought is the same as speaking the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Callan is having a lot of feelings. Yes. Reasonable feelings. Reason- yeah. But his his viewpoint on Elokar has changed because you'll recall at the beginning of the book, he's like, this is my job. Kaladin says, this is my job to protect the king even though like i don't really like him but that's our job that's yeah. what we do and now he's kind of done a 180 saying moash was right elokar should be stopped and someone has to do it like yeah <laughs> he's kind of come to this completely different conclusion which is interesting Yep, so Kaladin says that even the Dalinar admitted the king had made a big mistake in letting Sadius wiggle out of the challenge. Mm-hmm. That everyone is blaming Kaladin for this, but Elokar didn't see it through to the finish. Yeah. And jumping back, this is not comparable in scale at all. Is it the fault of the people who sent Zeth on his path mm. what Zeth has done with his Oathstone Pact? So, by that logic, it is Kaladin's fault that Elokar let Sadius wriggle out of the pact. No. These are two very different things. Uh, what I'm trying to get at... I'm sorry, I ruined it. I'm sorry. What Say I'm trying again. to get at is there is everything influence, influencing us in our daily lives, our past, the people around us, the society we're in, but ultimately... The choices you make are your own. Now, but an interesting parallel to that. didn't make those choices at the time. I don't think he was capable of going against his oath stone. Okay. Elokar has no such compunction. All right, right. Now, on a, on a completely far different end, okay. we just read this chapter with Eshenai, who's being magically whammy. Mm-hmm. So I think Eshenai really doesn't have a choice. I don't think she does. No, I agree. There is a little voice inside of her screaming every time that's like, choose the right! (laughs) So you have different levels of compulsion. Yes. And... That's way up here. (laughs) No, Esther and I up top of the mountain. (laughs) I'm going to let you know. I know. You're not going to change my mind on this. But I like listening to what you're saying. I know. I'm, I'm trying not to get too far ahead because we've only had that one chapter of Zeth and mm-hmm. maybe we could learn some more information about him before we talk more about it. <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm saying is here is that nothing happens in a – I don't know Did what I'm Did I ruin saying. it? I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I don't remember. I'm just saying that like 
Dalinar admitted the king had made a big mistake. I think Kaladin is saying he's at zero fault in this whatsoever. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't and I don't quite agree with that. Where Kaladin's like, I'm being, I'm too I'm handsome, being persecuted, and beautiful, and I'm trapped in this prison because they're all jealous of how honorable I am. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking Kaladin is a bit like 100% Elokar's fault and no one else's mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. And I had, when we get to not this chapter, because Wit is the person who goes to visit him here, but the chapter where Dalinar comes to visit, we get some more backstory on Elokar that I think is very interesting. Yeah. And I don't want to take us on too big of a tangent either. Remember but- when I spent 20 minutes talking about the history of computer <laughs> graphics and animation? But the idea that I, okay, Kaladin knew the plan. Kaladin knew what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. So he cannot claim ignorance. Mm-hmm. He cannot remove himself fully from this. But I also feel like I can't fault him very much for being swept up in the adrenaline, the moment. Adrenaline, the moment. Yeah, that the sort thrill. of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe. I don't think so. Okay. But something similar to it. (laughs) (laughs) Me suggests brand new information. Really? Me retracts information immediately. Yeah, and we've already kind of talked about how you and I feel about that and how, like, you hate that scene. But Uh I'm just like, that was a moment of triumph and it was a moment of social change. That nothing happened, but... It could have been. It could have been. Oh my gosh. Huge pin. Put a flag in social change because... Dalinar says some stuff Stupid. that is wrong. Yeah. And I can't wait to get there. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Wit's here. How did you get in? Kaladin <laughs> asked. Well, there are these things called doors. That's <laughs> an a-hole. Emily, what's Wit here to do? Sing with perfect pitch. Hey, how does he have that? <laughs> so I asked Megan as I was reading this because as Wit is tuning the thing, he's like, ah, oh, perfect pitch. It makes things so much easier than they were now or whatever. And I recall that when we had talked about uh, Warbreaker, one of the levels that you can attain with the breath mm-hmm. is perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. So I asked Megan, mm-hmm. is that what's going on here? That I told you to ask me on the yes. podcast. Yeah. Didn't you say yes? I said ask me on the podcast. Oh, Megan. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> everything i touch it's all right because we've seen him on warbreaker world Mm -hmm. which you know if scadriel is inquisitorville (laughs) we got inquisitorville margaritaville warbreaker world (laughs) nobody drinks margaritas but it's like they're having a party and like light song is always like we gotta call it margaritaville then That's where Arizona is. Listen. Blush Weaver. Mm -hmm. Light Song. Mm -hmm. James Buffett. (laughs) It works. works. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. Jimmy Buffett is one of the returned. (laughs) Can Margaritaville be the song? Margarita. Okay, yes. Margaritaville could be this week's yeah. song. <laughs> and I think the title of this week's chapter should be Wargaritaville. Wargaritaville, got it. So, in- Inquisitor, what was it? In- Inquisitorville. Inquisitorville? Or was it just Inquisitorland? Inquisitor. Uh, I'll have to go back and listen. Okay, we'll have to listen. <laughs> That's how easy it is to forget things, you guys. 
Um, so Wit starts to tell a story about a bunny rabbit and a chick went frolicking in the grass together on a summer's day. And Kaladin is like, a chick, a baby ch- and a what? I don't get this. So, Emily, how does Wit restart the story? <laughs> she goes, uh, I forgot myself for a moment. Sorry. Let me make it more appropriate for you. A piece of wet slime and a disgusting crab thing with 17 legs slunk across the rocks together on an insufferable rainy day. Is that better? <laughs> Where's Wit from? Not here, I don't think. That is right. <laughs> <laughs> Margaritaville. <laughs> <sighs> so Kaladin and Wit are going to change stories. Mm-hmm. And Wit's like, tell me a story. And Kaladin says, fine. A man went to jail. He hated it there. The, the end. end. <laughs> so this, this story is like a musically set. Okay. when It's like musical therapy. When Wit like slaps the strings. Uh-huh. I'm thinking August Rush. Yes. So I picture, yeah, I actually picture the song from August Rush through this scene. That song is so good. Yeah. Like, that's what, ooh. Anyways, I'm not going on a tangent about August Rush, but that is a song that, like, I could listen to it for weeks and not get tired of it. Now, this brings us to what I originally was going to pick as the song this week, which Mm -hmm. is Run, Boy, Run. Oh, and I, mm, do you know what? Could we do two songs? No. (laughs) Okay. But... I will let you know. Maybe Run Boy Run becomes relevant later in the story. Okay, that so sounds great. That'll be a future song. Future song. Layfo. <laughs> Listen to it later. Listen and find out. <laughs> okay. So Wit starts telling the story about Well Okay, he... sorry. He plays the song and he's like, Kaladin, what's the song make you think of? And and Kaladin saw in his mind a race. And so Kaladin starts listen, this is a therapeutic technique. <laughs> And I love it. I'm reading this whole thing just going, love, 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 super love. (laughs) This is the song of a man who is running. And so then Wit takes that and says, in the driest part of the brightest day, the man set off from the eastern sea. Wit set it perfectly to the beat of his music, a chant that was almost a song. And where he went or why he ran, the answer comes from you to me. And Kaladin says, he ran from the storm. The man was fleet, whose name you know. He's spoken of in song and lore. The fastest man e'er known to live, the surest feet e'er known to roam. In time long past, in times I've known, he raced the chair old Chanarach. He won the race as he did each one, but now the time for defeat had come. Hey, you hear that rhythm? too? This is the rhythm of the night! No. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh... They tell the story together, and the music is getting so intense that Kaladin is like, he's got to have multiple hands playing. Yeah, Kaladin's eyes are closed. He's not looking, but it's magical what is that, whatever is happening. Like, it's it's affecting Kaladin emotionally. Mm -hmm. And Kaladin is picturing correctly what fleet looks like lanky tall anyway um i love this scene mm-hmm. i don't think i okay so the i love all of this 
this is this is a great this is a great story. So he they tell this story where Kaladin just gives him a line at a time, and then mm-hmm. Wit goes on to talk about it. And Emily, can you can you tell us about Fleet running from the storm? He, I believe, is running from one end of Roshar to the other. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it what it came up to because Kaladin's kind of like stating like where in the story they are at this point and and you know how Fleet is is running and he's ahead of the storm but he's climbing peaks and he's getting tired and and they're pulling this whole story I'm gonna say out of nothing but you know it's very emotionally uh important to Kaladin you know he's being very honest with I think himself in a way that he didn't realize he could be but um, as this reminds me of Matilda and her story about the eschatologist. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the end, uh, Fleet. I figured it Megan out. Megan, I didn't gasp. I didn't make a noise. <laughs> you made a movement. <laughs> then we shall all be in fear for the rest of our lives. All That's right. how I live my life. <laughs> I would start it off as being animated, Mm -hmm. very loose in pastels, very sketchy, like the the sort of the paint on glass that you see in Mob Psycho. Or like Colors of the Wind, Pogana style? Yeah. Okay. Um, But as the story goes on, it solidifies into something more and more real. Ooh, I love that. You know, and we start with like an animated hero just like... Doing amazing leaps, doing amazing gasp, gasp, doing amazing leaps. <laughs> I don't know what I was even going for in the middle. But then when we get to the end where Kaladin said he didn't make it, he died. We see someone like, you know, filthy with dust from the race and like blood coming out of their mouth and just like struggling to go up. And we see an absolutely realistic person drop down dead. Ooh, I like that. So you do know this story, Wit said. What? I thought you were making it up. No, you were. Then what is there to know? Wit smiled. All stories have been told before. We tell them to ourselves, as did all men who ever were, and all men who ever will be. The only things new are the names. Brandon Sanderson is literally the only writer whom I do not mind talking about the nature of stories and writing. <laughs> I'm looking at you, D&D. <laughs> Not Wizards of the Coast. I'm talking to Game of Thrones people. Ugh. Anyway, hey, Fleet died. Mm-hmm. But he became... He became the storm. Mm-hmm. He, he, he gave up his life to defeat the storm, and then he got to ride the storm. And, and Kaladin's like, what does that even mean? What does it mean... Kaladin of Bridge Four, Kaladin Storm Blessed. The storm caught him, Kaladin said. The storm catches everyone eventually. Does it matter? I don't know. Good. Hey, Emily. Yeah. What do you think about the fleet story? <clears throat> it, okay, it made me think about the guy who ran the marathon. Mm hmm. And and as the story goes, he ran the 26.2 miles in order to warn people that something was coming and he helped turn the tide of this war, as far as I'm remembering the yeah. story correctly. But 
here, I feel like Fleet is doing it for his own glory. Glory, yeah. But he accomplishes something that no one else has done and he's rewarded, which is great, but did it help anybody? Because um, I say that Fleet doesn't do it for anyone else, but it, it feels like he is doing it for him. Because if he's to the point where he is exhausted and tired and about to give up, he does not give up. He, like, he keeps going. <laughs> As someone... Me. As someone who's given up during a marathon <laughs> and someone who's finished a few, uh, I'm very motivated by medals and hardware and rewards. Mm-hmm. But there has been at least one race where I'm like, no, nope, I'm done. I'm not going to finish mm-hmm. as much as I want the three extra medals I would get for finishing this race. I'm just not going to. It would hurt too much. And um, I will admit that during all of my long distance racing, there has been more than one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I, uh, would say to myself, fleet kept running. Oh. Um, and so I'm wondering, Emily, what in your life would you run yourself to, into the ground for? Well, I was going to tell the story of my so far only 10, no, my so far only half marathon. Tell it. And I think I've mentioned it before, uh, Haunted Half, you start up in Provo Canyon, you run down the whole way until you hit about the last mile and a half, and then it's uphill the whole way, which is not fair. And I don't give up on things. I That is a huge strength of mine and a huge weakness of mine. <laughs> it's a double, double-edged crown. crown. <laughs> but at one point, I... I my legs were cramping so badly I couldn't walk uphill, so I had to walk backwards. And I was seething. I was so angry, and I was just like, I don't have to do this. I could call my roommate. She would come get me, and no one would be the wiser that I hadn't finished. But I'm just like, this is stupid. This is so stupid that I, I'm going to do it. But there, there was probably a 10-minute window where I was really, like, having to talk myself out of quitting. And I was really upset that I wasn't letting myself quit. Um, I will never quit after. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm not sure, like, I mean, I know there's things in my life that I would, I would run myself to death for. And I'm sure it would be to, like, save a family member or... Listen, your dog, yeah, my dog, I gestured to my dog and um, my friends and I joked about this at one point, but they were like, in the apocalypse, if you could save a person or your dog, who would you save? And I'm like, my dog, I would save my dog. A person can save themselves. My stupid, dumb, sweet, sweet boy. I will never leave him. I would I would do anything. I will to never quit, master. <laughs> Anyways, ugh. So yeah, what leaves Kaladin pondering that story? Like, is it worth it? Was what happened worth it? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think that's up to each person. No. Okay, we'll have to think about it. Well, moving on to chapter sixty, Vale walks. Can you read me the epigraph? Yes. It says, "Have you given up on the gemstone now that it is dead?" And do you no longer hide behind the name of your old master? I am told that your current incarnation, you've taken a na- Sorry. 
I am told that in your current incarnation, you've been. Oh my gosh, am I gonna count? <laughs> what incarnation? Probably <laughs> <laughs> tilted the book a little bit. <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> oh no, I have a switch flipped in my head. I am told that in your current. <laughs> incarnation okay that's right okay i am told in your current incarnation you've taken a name that references what you presume to be one of your virtues is it wit <laughs> good job so hard made it through the the roughest epigraph of all time so what's shalon doing she is not able, she's not sleeping for one. It's it's early, early in the morning and she can't sleep. Um, but she's doing research, which she hasn't been able to do much scholarly stuff. And so she's kind of taking this opportunity to be like, Yasna would be ashamed of me. So uh she is going through the stuff. Um, so what is she what is she scholarly? She's looking at the uh Shattered planes. Yeah. And she is saying that there is a pattern on the maps. Mm-hmm. And Pattern himself cannot see it. She says on this old map, the area is Natanatan. Natanaton. <laughs> I still haven't decided which one. I like saying Natanaton. Uh, and she's saying one of the epic kingdoms. But look. And she stabs the page with her finger. The capital of Natanaton, Stormseat. If you compare where we would find the ruins of it, it would be in these mountains, is what Pattern says. And Shalon's like, no, 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 no. You have to use your imagination Mm -hmm. because the maps aren't accurate. And Pattern is like, but that's not what the map says. (laughs) I love Pattern. Mm Mm-hmm. You like pattern more than still okay only because i find him very funny mm. this is this is the kind of humorous character i like a little bit more than someone like lift or lopin see i like sill better than pattern because to me she makes more sense and i think her humor is more my style okay see and i like pattern because data and the emergency medical hologram mm-hmm. and seven of nine are like all of my favorite star trek characters yeah yeah um so that's not what the map says, pattern, you know, says. And Shalon's like, close enough. And then he goes, that is not a pattern. <sighs> He's type A for sure. Um, So Shalon is doing it on her bed. And she's trying to figure out where you're a thero. When she could just ask Seth the next time she sees him. Yeah, easy enough. He knows. I'm sure he'd really happily tell her where the sacred city is but i love that as she is doing this um we brandon does such a good job at showing us how bright shallan is Mm -hmm. i mean we we've come to understand this as the story has gone on but she has set so many different things in motion she set a rube goldberg machine in motion Mm -hmm. because um as she's doing all these studies um she's talking about how she's setting up like ways to get who who's she staying with? Who's the high prince she's staying with? Sabariel. Okay. Staying with Sabariel has sent a note to Polona, who's part of the household, 
uh, with like kind of buzzwords, keyword, key SEO words that will catch Sabario's attention that she can play off of of getting him to go investigate if this thing with Adolin doesn't work out. Like she's setting up things in motion, yeah, to to make her dreams come true. And I'm just like, dang girl, now, who is she trying to get a hold of on purpose? Several times. Oh, Navani. Navani won't but talk to her. I think Navani's not talking to her because still of Yasna. But Shalon is worried that it's because she, Shalon, missed the the wording in Adolin's dueling agreement that allowed all those people to come and attack him. Which, I don't think that's the case. I think Shalon is just worrying about this because... That's not something that you knew you had to look out for. Like, I mm-hmm. I don't blame Shalon for missing that. That was a really malicious thing that they did. Um, but I think maybe that's made her think about the future a little bit more and, like, how to be more prepared in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Pattern trying to find out stuff about humans. Because Pattern himself is a scholar. Mm-hmm. So we've met Wendell. And Wendell told us so much about mm-hmm. about Spren. Yeah. And I love the idea of, like, Spren cities and Spren people. And we have these very alien, not-of-this-world creatures that get to, like, visit this world. And I, I love stories about aliens examining human culture from the outside. And mm-hmm. I think that's very funny. It's like that Transformers fic you were telling me about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a Transformers fic where um, a anthropologist is hired uh, based on... The world doesn't know about Transformers. She is hired by the government to kind of be a liaison between the Transformer Autobots. Does she kiss any humans. of the Transformers? I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I don't think I've actually finished this one. Um... But as she's doing, like, the interview, a part of the interview is uh, she doesn't know who she's going to be working with. She's just been told they're refugees. We're helping them, you know, kind of assimilate better to, they don't say Earth's culture, but they're like our culture. And the person kind of behind the screen is asking, like, okay, here's a picture of a clown and here's a picture of a cowboy. Why is what the clown is wearing not a hat, but the hat, the thing that's on the cowboy's head is considered a hat. Like, these things that, like, yeah, we why just... Why is a wig, how is a wig different from a hat? Yeah, yeah. And then they put up, they're just like, well, here's a picture of a clown and here's a picture of, you know, George Washington. Like, how are those hairs different? And this fic, I'm going to have to find the name of the fic and put it... Because I would it, like to read this. I'll put it in the, I'll put it in the, the description. But just the idea of how foreign... Our culture can be to someone who has no background in it and stuff that we're just like, oh, that's everyday knowledge. How can you not know that? And so the idea of, yeah, it could be very confusing. And of course, Syl and Pattern and and Waylon have to figure this weird human stuff out. You mean Wendell? Yes. What did I say? Waylon. Waylon. That's the cover artist. (laughs) Okay. Oh. Mm. Okay. Okay, I'm going to say something that is going to sound terrible. Do it! Do it! Pattern, pattern is so pushy. Okay. <laughs> I said you were going to like it. I understand. I mean, I feel like I understand why he is. But he's always like, Shalon, remember. Shalon, remember. Shalon, remember. You've got to let people take their trauma at their own pace. Okay. 
But he doesn't. She, he literally doesn't know. Yeah, because he he's doesn't. a non-human. That's why creature. I'm, right. That's why I'm saying it's not fair for me to say. Yeah. I can't stand that he does this. And so I think that also is really smart of Brandon because it gives this character a pass where anyone else. I feel like this would be very Dr. House behavior of like, uh-huh. I don't care how you feel. I care how what I get out of it sort of a thing. Are you saying that's what Pattern's doing? That's what it feels like when okay. he keeps pushing about like, you have to remember these things. It's very important. And listen, yes, it is important. But I'm saying because Pattern doesn't understand the human realm, I guess a little mm-hmm. bit, he gets a pass for his behavior that is not, it's not really considered kind rude yeah it it wouldn't yeah 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 because you know they they pattern is basically going through a list of his questions every time he talks with shalon because he's asking her about sleeping why do you sleep and and then she makes a joke about returning to sentience and that oh that might be too generous of a term and he's like i've guessed why you said that it's humorous but i do not know why and then he repeats a uh innuendo joke that he heard in camp and he's explaining like why he thinks it's funny Mm -hmm. um and so like pattern is trying to okay pattern is a being literally obsessed with patterns repetitions and given facts Mm -hmm. and he's trying to understand the chaotic nature of humans Mm -hmm. and he does not realize when it's a faux pas when he's like Asking Shalon about a sexual innuendo versus asking Shalon about sleeping versus asking her about why have you forgotten how to make your images produce sound? You did it once long ago. And we just have a dot. We have an actual ellipses, Mm -hmm. a time jump. Yeah. Shalon disassociates here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like there's a new, it's indented. It's like a new paragraph, dot, dot, dot. And then underneath new paragraph. Shalon kind of blinks and comes to. And she just starts talking about Nat Naughton again. She doesn't even talk. She doesn't even, she doesn't even um, recognize. She doesn't even like say anything about register. Yeah. She doesn't comment on it. She doesn't Mm -hmm. acknowledge it. And she just goes back to what she was scholarly doing. Mm -hmm. And Pattern is like Shalon and Shalon just keeps, keeps doing what she's doing. So, she is trying to find Eurythiru, and she's trying to find something called... The Oath Gate. And there is a specific dais out on the Shattered Plains before it was shattered, and she is trying to find what it was. Now, Mm -hmm. I've got a paragraph from Pattern I'm going to read. Okay. Shalon, Pattern said, moving closer to her, I know that you have forgotten much of what once was. Those lies attracted me. But you cannot continue like this. You must admit the truth about me, about what I can do and what we have done. Mm. More, you must know yourself and remember. Mm -hmm. She sat cross-legged on the too nice bed. Memories tried to claw their way out of the boxes in her head. Those memories all pointed one way towards carpet bloodied and carpet not. You wish to help. Pattern said, you wish to prepare for the Everstorm, the spread of the unnatural one. You must become something. I did not come to you to merely teach you tricks of light. 
Yeah, it's easy to realize that, yeah, these tricks are fun. Yeah, you can do so many cool things with them, but they're there for a very specific purpose. And then he he pushes her hard enough that Shalon starts to think about, and she basically says, listen, if you want me to help, do you want me unable to laugh, unable to speak? Like, that's what these memories would do. Mm-hmm. They would, I became who I am because I cut them off. Yeah, she's saying, if you make me remember, I will become someone else and be unable to help. Which, fair. Like, she knows. Like, And it's it's very interesting here because she... Let me... Can I see this really yeah. fast? Um, yeah. She talks about the image of herself, Shalana, she should be, curled in a huddle on the bed, unable to weep, for she had long since run out of tears. This girl, not a woman, a girl, flinched when never spoken to. And she just talks about, like, that is the real Shalon. And and so the person, she feels that the person she is now is kind of like a construct of light, because this is who, she, she's pretending to be a real person. She's pretending yeah. to be able to function and to do all these things, but if she kind of lets it all, like, she lets like herself realize what's going on. She mm-hmm. will almost become catatonic, which I think Brandon's handling this whole trauma thing really, really yeah. well because, you know, sometimes just pushing it completely out and just pretending like it never happened, just moving on sometimes feels like that's the only way that you can function. Cause I got issues. <laughs> but pattern says such a deep lie. Like, the thing is, you survived. Well, he doesn't say this, but this is how I took it, is she survived. She's still here. The Shalon in front of Pattern is the real Shalon, even if she doesn't feel that she's real. And so, like, she's been telling herself a lie. I love this Pattern thing with the truth and lie. I just, I love Mm -hmm. it. I think it's great. Now we start to talk about Vale. Mm -hmm. Vale is also not the real Shalon. Right. But it's someone that she feels very comfortable being. Which I also find interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, she's got she's got echoes of Shalon, like an Alephi version of Shalon, and she starts to draw her and she starts to figure out, okay, what does Vale sound like? And so through this chapter we have a cool like Shalon learns a little bit more about her powers. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, earlier, Pattern was trying to talk about humor and, like, figure out jokes and stuff. And, unfortunately, like, what Shalon is specifically trying to do with her light weaving doesn't work. And she goes, ugh, annoying. Pattern hummed, I am sorry that your mystical, godlike powers do not instantly work as you would like them to. She raised an eyebrow at him. I thought you didn't understand humor. I do. I just explained. He paused for a moment. Was I being funny? Sarcasm. I was sarcastic by accident. I love pattern. That's my neurodivergent brain talking. I'm like, yeah, that boy is me. That one. But um, she's really, really trying. And she learns, she learns that she can bond pattern to the illusion and pattern can control it. Mm-hmm. Which is cool because I'm, my guess is she's going to start sending him out. But the thing is, like, even if he goes out, like, uh, no one can see him anyway. But I feel like this will be useful if we need a distraction somewhere mm-hmm. or whatever. What's the name of this chapter? Veil. Hold on. Veil Walks. Yay. 
So there, she's figuring out how to literally animate her <laughs> CG, her graph of light. Oh, just push the spread button and it will move. <laughs> I'm going to request that we gloss over a lot of stuff that happens in this Great. chapter. So it's sad. It is sad. Shalon is trying to survive in an abusive home. And she's talking about how she's trying to be quiet and perfect around her father. And and she's trying to be, um, and she's trying to be happy and cheerful for her brothers. And she's Mm -hmm. already feeling like this is a mask. This is where I dropped the mask. But since I have to work so hard to do it, is that really the real Shalon? Um, and it's interesting because at one point, uh, one point her brothers are like, let's leave, let's go. And she's like, if we leave, this darkness that's around our father is going to get him. And she feels so responsible, which is really interesting. She has taken on the responsibility of taking care of her adult caregiver, which children should not have to do. Kids should get to be kids. But Shalon has taken it upon herself, and people have given her the responsibility. I think her brothers aren't doing this maliciously, but are very dependent upon Shalon to help them survive as well, you know. Um, and the idea that Shalon has been has taken and has been given this responsibility to care for the entire household as a kid, which is way too much for anybody i'm thinking because of her physical similarities to their mom Mm -hmm. that these boys are trying to fill the void that they lost when they lost their mom that would make complete so short summary of this balat and father fight because balat wants to to court alita and father is like no you're gonna court the the high prince's daughter who's in her 50s Mm -hmm. and when balat speaks back to father he tells the guards to kill all of Balat's pet axehound puppies, mm-hmm. which is something specifically Halloran had asked Shalon to help him with. Because mm-hmm. when she last saw Halloran, she's like, Balat was not kind to the axehound puppy that I got him. And like Balat was starting to turn a corner and then father ruined everything. This violence is going to begat more violence. That's the only language her father speaks. Yeah. Because interestingly enough, at the end, after, we'll, we'll kind of go into that, but like one of the last things we hear her father say is like, none of this would happen if people would just obey me. Yeah. Like this dad is so emotionally immature of like, you're all making me do these awful things. What? My obedience to the oath stone is, is making not, me do these no, awful this things. this is completely different. It's not. It is different. It's not. It is. How? It is. These people are responsible for my actions. No, a magical oath stone is responsible. It's not magical. Well, we didn't know that at the beginning when I bonded to this character. <laughs> Are you saying that new knowledge will not make you change your mind on this? We have yet to see okay. if that is true or not. Um, I, I think I'm really worked up about the dad just because, like, having had friends with parents like this mm-hmm. and just, like, seeing it in real life and just the selfishness that comes mm-hmm. from, oh, you're upset. Well, don't blame me even though I specifically caused this. Yeah. Makes me so mm-hmm. furious. F- 
father sends his guards out to go kill Helleran. Oh, that's right, because Balat accidentally spilled the spilled. fact that Helleran has been here. Because Helleran threatened dad last time he was here. They're like, I will be watching. And the guard... Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. The... Shallan overhears the guards... Shallan overhears her father tell the guards, you go kill my son, and you can keep the shard blade. Like... Like, her dad has lost his freaking mind! Yeah. And then stepmother confronts him about mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And he tells the captain of the guard to leave, and then... Ma, uh, the stepmother and father are just screaming at each other and mm -hmm. Shalon runs into her room mm -hmm. and she's trying to use a pillow to keep out the sounds. When she thought it was over, she removed the pillow and her father stormed into the hallway. Why will nobody in this house obey? This wouldn't happen if you all just obeyed. And just jumping back really fast to Shalon is, has been put in a position of responsibility, but she has no power. So, like, she can't, she's responsible, she feels responsible for her father, she feels mm -hmm. responsible for her brothers, she feels responsible to stay in line, because if not, it's been proven that her father will beat a maid instead of Shallan. Yeah. Um, and it's made even more unfair that Shallan has no real power to do anything or change anything. Mm -hmm. She can't stop her father, I'm assuming her father beat her stepmother just then, which is, you know, what she didn't want to hear. But yeah, she has no power, even though Shalon is responsible, quote unquote, for everyone's well-being in the household. Mm -hmm. And I know for like, for several hours now, I keep being like, oh, that's just like that. <laughs> it's really not. This is me like pulling each of these. Like I said earlier, nothing happens in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. um, I think last book when we were podcasting, I talked about how most physics questions that you get on a on a you know physics test mm -hmm. is ignore friction, ignore Earth's gravity, ignore mm -hmm. Earth's motion. Mm -hmm. That this is happening in a vacuum without any of these outside influences. That I don't think you can ever pin down the start of a Rube Goldberg machine. Right. Because what we could say is Oh, what started this is the heralds leaving town behind in hell. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, but what started the desolations in the first place? What did the heralds? Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, this 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 all started because thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, something happened that Emily doesn't know about in the Cosmere, <laughs> and every single bad thing that's ever happened is because of that. Mm. And uh, Seth can say. It's not my fault because 9,000 years ago something happened. Yeah. 16,000 years ago, however many. So what in your environment is not your, like, what is your responsibility and what has been conditioned into you? Mm -hmm. Is a trigger different from a cause? I understand what you're saying, but yeah. I cannot think of. Okay, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it free will. Okay. Um, like, Shalon has the free will to leave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's that meme with the skeleton. You could just leave. There will be consequences to that, though. And sometimes the consequence is more horrible than staying, mm -hmm. doing something terrible. Yeah. So in the first book, when we first met Zeth, and he was talking about when he's sitting in the bar before Teravangian gets to him, mm -hmm. he talks about how if he follows the Oath Stone and is a good truthless... Mm -hmm then he will still get to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. That isn't the exact phrasing he used, but Zeth is like, no matter what horrible things I do in the name of being truthless, 
I'm still going to have peace in the next existence, whatever it is. I'm absolved because I am doing this other thing. Yeah. And Yasna's talk about atheism to Shalon is about how I don't believe in an eternal reward like that. I do good things because they are good. Mm -hmm. And then you have somebody like darkness who is like goodness doesn't matter only the law matters and then you have people like sill who are like the law doesn't matter only goodness matters only what is right matters so you can like hold up a candle of like oh yeah shalom's father has caused much less death than someone like zeth Mm -hmm. but shalom's father is causing very extreme pain to his small circle of people Mm -hmm. deliberately and since the life of a single man is priceless, it's very hard to say this equals this or this is worse than this. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to say is it is complex. And then also Emily as a person and her experience coming to this book and my experience as a person coming to this book are also flavoring how we feel about everything. everything. <laughs> so... Thank you for talking through these books with me. Well, kind of a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's talk about Kalanar and Dalinar. Okay. Ooh, give me a give me a epigraph. All right, this is chapter 62, The One Who Killed Promises. This is, I suspect, a little like a skunk naming itself for its stench. This is a follow-up to to yeah. yeah, which I think is I'm going to say I say adorable. I don't mean adorable, but I just mean like mm-hmm. Oh, good. Someone who, like, can calls people out on stuff. So Kaladin's not doing good in no. captivity. I was worried because I'm almost afraid he's falling. This, I believe this chapter is setting him up for another depression, slide down into mm-hmm. depression. Because, I mean, one way that you want to try and fight depression is to not keep yourself isolated not to keep yourself alone you want to be out you want to get vitamin d in the sunshine you want to do all these things and he physically can't he's just left here alone with his thoughts and by the end of the chapter we find out some really terrible things that are not going to help his situation so he's already ruminating over as he's sitting in jail Mm -hmm. was this what happened to moash's grandparents Mm -hmm. waiting for a trial until they died in prison yeah now this is important there had been a high storm yesterday. Oh, we're down to one more high storm. Ooh. He'd been barely able to hear it locked away in this room. Mm-hmm. And um, Sill is just humming nearby. He's not sure where she is. Mm-hmm. And she keeps hiding from him. Yeah. He asks for her and she says, There was a cryptic at the fight, her voice said softly. And he, Kaladin's just like, oh, you've mentioned them before. I, I think I know what you're talking about. And she says, a revolting type, but not evil, I don't think, she sounded begrudging. I was going to follow it as it fled, but you needed me. When I went back to look for it, it had hidden from me. What does it mean? Cryptics like to plan, Syl said slowly, as if recalling something long ago. Yes, I remember. They debate and watch and never do anything. But they're looking for someone. I've seen the signs. Soon, you might not be alone, Kaladin. Mm -hmm. Now, what is Kaladin's only hope and wish? (laughs) That they not choose (laughs) April. I think Uh, we talked about that in one of the earlier episodes where I'm like, it would be hilarious if Adolin was chosen. And 
I don't know. I feel like maybe Brandon... Okay, here's the thing. I feel like Adolin is, like, perfect to be a Radiant. Like, he seems like the golden child sort of a thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if Adolin were made a Radiant. But I'm also kind of hoping, like, Renarin gets to be a Radiant. Like, Renarin gets to, like... I mean, hopefully... Maybe both of them can. Yeah, it's, it's probably not just, like, one from every family. But remember, Elokar sees things in the mirror and sees stuff, like... I'm just afraid Elokar's gonna be a radiant. Can I tell you a really sad word of Brandon? Okay. He said that if he'd grown up, Tien would have been chosen by his father. Oh, that is terrible! Why?! Oh, <laughs> that's the worst thing I've ever. Heard. The would have been doubly not alone. <laughs> now, now we do say that like Kaladin's reflex is like, oh, don't choose Adolin. But the mm-hmm. following paragraph it does say the thought alone should have made him sick. Instead, he found Sil's revelation oddly comforting. Not being alone, even if it did turn out to be Adolin, mm-hmm. made him feel better. And drove away some small measure of his gloom. <laughs> Man, if only Adolin could hang out in prison with Kaladin. He wouldn't. Like, they're not friends. But, like, I feel like if they were friends, Adolin would totally be there. He'd be the sort of person to, like, like be there for you. Mm-hmm. Just, like, hang out outside the cell door. Yeah, not go inside. Yeah. <laughs> Adolin's not going to prison. He didn't do anything wrong. Um, um, so, and then surprise, surprise, Delinar's here. Delinar's Delinar. <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> Dad man. <laughs> so, how are your accommodations? Sir, I'm in storming prison. He just used the F word in front of Dalinar. Yes. <laughs> they call him sir. Yep, yep. Calm yourself, soldier. If I'd ordered you to guard this room for a week, would you have done it? Yes. Then consider this your duty. Guard this room. I'll make sure nobody unauthorized runs off with the chamber pot, sir. <laughs> and then Dalinar says, Elokar is coming around. He's finished cooling off. And this is where we're going to talk about. The Do you know how I said, thing. like, we can't go back to the beginning of the Rube Goldberg machine? Mm-hmm. We see in this chapter... Really, so strongly, how much of who Elokar is being Dalinar's fault? Yeah. Here's the thing. Okay, I think at the beginning of this episode, I was the one like, you don't have to be perfect to rule. You just have to try your best. <laughs> and the exception is? Is this dude. <laughs> All right. Get out the guillotine. Elokar should die. That's not what I'm saying. He should die for making Kaladin feel bad. What is happening? He should die for killing Moesh's grandparents. Oh, goodness. Listen, if you haven't read this chapter, please, it, it it's enraging. Yeah. It's absolutely enraging. The idea that you have to coddle your leader to keep him from making choices that are so unfair is very worrying. Mm-hmm. I see where the ghost bloods are coming from. And after this chapter, I'm a little more on their side. I'm not in their camp. Right, right. I'm going to, you know, um, Malash is not hanging out with ghost bloods. That's, it's a different group. Oh, shoot. I mean, sorry. That's Shalon. Whoever, yeah. whoever the people are that Malash is hanging out with. Thank you for, thank you for doing that. 
I know the name of the group he's hanging out with. It hasn't been revealed in the book yet. Okay. Well, Kaladin's just like, I'm not convinced that the king will ever let me go. He has a history of letting inconvenient people rot in dungeons until they die. And Kaladin, first of all, is just like... Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Ooh, whoops. And Dalinar knows exactly who he's talking about. Yeah. It was such a big deal. Yeah. It was such a big deal that, like, there's a capital H history behind this. Yeah. So... So Dalinar knows about it. Ref- refresh. Mm-hmm. Moash grew up... He lost his parents when he was young and he was raised by his grandparents. Mm-hmm. And he worked in trade caravans like the ones we saw uh, Shalon working in down south mm-hmm. and he comes home one day to find his grandparents someone wanted their silversmithy and uh had gone to the king kind of around the back of the HOA <laughs> and convinced the king that these grand that Moesh's old grandparents should be thrown in prison and just the paperwork left them sitting there they never got a trial date and they died in prison mm-hmm. and Moesh found all this out after he got back and this is before Gavilar's assassination. Mm-hmm. So this is when Elokar was prince. Yeah. And now this means that this would have happened. How old was Kaladin when Rashon came to Hearthstone? He was youngish. He was, yeah. I want to say like 12 or 13 or Cause, 15. Because Moash is only like three to five years older than Kaladin. Yeah. So this would have happened when Moash was 15 to 17 Mm -hmm. so yeah that's rough anyway so kaladin now finds out the other side of this that dalinar came home found all this out gavilar didn't make these choices dalinar did Mm -hmm. and dalinar says okay the light eyes the guy who owned all the silver smithy smith the thief silver smithies (laughs) that organized this we're gonna ship him off somewhere he can't do anything bad again we're gonna punish the guy who did this mm-hmm. by we're not gonna kill him because you don't execute a lie you don't execute a lie we're gonna banish him for his bad choices and obviously he will never hurt anyone else again if we just banish him the problem will be taken care of <sighs> who was it megan oh my gosh are the rumors about them true then i would really rather not speak of the rashon affair and kaladin is flashing back to all of the different things from the first book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a little bit of meta whatever mm-hmm. as we're going through these books. Yeah. When we read the flashbacks, the idea is that the characters are remembering those flashbacks. So, yeah. like, what, what Shalon has remembered of her childhood so far, like, that's when she's been remembering it as the books have been going through. Mm-hmm. And so, like... We know how vivid these flashbacks are. We know how detailed these are, that these are, like, really horrible. And Mm -hmm. we get flash, flash, flash footage from the first season, Mm quote-unquote, of Kaladin remembering all the stuff Rashon did. Mm -hmm. Rashon starved his family for years. Rashon, like, made them the object of ridicule in town. Rashon took Laurel, sent uh, Tien away, caused all of this... And now we can take one step back to, oh, no, Elokar did this. He did. Elokar moved the man to a place where he couldn't do any more harm. Kaladin almost laughed. And I was surprised here because Dalinar's like, do you want to say something about this? And Kaladin's like, no. And I was just like, this is the time. Like, 
My surprise is because Brandon puts in stuff way earlier than I think he's going to. I think, okay, maybe I'm like really emotionally worked up about this, but I think Kaladin should have told Dalinar exactly, okay, you, you remove this man out of your sight so you wouldn't have to think about all the, the terrible thing that had happened. It affected people in this specific way. This is a learning opportunity for you, Dalinar. You need to learn something. And he clearly, he clearly just like took care of it as a light eyes of just, this is the worst thing we could do to this light eyes. I mean, no one's going to think twice about horrible little, this is not Dalinar's words, Yeah, horrible little backwater town in the middle of nowhere where he has no more political power mm-hmm. to affect the throne or affect me. me. And I, I know that you read that Dalinar says Elokar moved the man, but if you jump back uh, one paragraph. Mm-hmm. Suffice to say, Rashon led the prince to make some errors. Again, this isn't Elokar's fault. Rashon mm-hmm. did it. Then Dalinar says, I cleared it up when I returned. Yeah. Now, we're seeing with the way that Dalinar is treating Kaladin in prison, mm-hmm. in his imprisonment. Yeah. Elokar is not calling any of the shots here. Nope. Dalinar is... You know what? Um, I'm just gonna like give my opinion, Elokar. You don't have to follow it, but mm-hmm. like, <sighs> now I, I know it's been said in the past that I've been too mean to Elokar, <laughs> and the Willy Wonka books <laughs> has talked about like the whole point of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is that it is the fault of the parent when the child turns out like this mm-hmm. that. Uh, Veruca is spoiled because of how her father gave in to her tantrums. Mm -hmm. Or Violet Beauregard is this competitive because of, I guess in the movie version, how her stage mom pushed her on. Mm -hmm. And that again, it goes back to like the Rube Goldberg machine of life. At what point is something your fault? Mm -hmm. And at what point is it the fault of your circumstances? Mm -hmm. And When are you supposed to figure out that your circumstances are making you do something bad and fix it? Mm -hmm. So Elokar is a garbage king, but he has never been taught how to be a good king. Yeah. His mistakes were swept under the rug and he never experienced consequences for them. But now, oh, you're an adult, Elokar. You should know this stuff now. So what do you hold it against somebody that how can you know what you were never taught or never given an opportunity to learn? Like how much emphasis do we place on, Oh, you should just know right from wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think this makes it even harder because we sympathize with Kaladin so much Mm -hmm. that immediately we're like, Dalinar, how could you have done this? this? He couldn't have known. Yeah. He really couldn't have. And so, yeah, it's just what he did wasn't fair to anyone involved but like he didn't feel socially mm-hmm. that he could do anything he felt what he had done socially was the worst thing that could have been done to Roshone. yeah i want to talk about couldn't have known mm-hmm. because you can do things with the best intentions and your trades apprentice can still jump off an island yeah you can do everything with the best intention and you cannot know what the outcome will be at uh, what point is like, that's my fault versus that's my responsibility versus that has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> we'll have to keep reading to find out. 
But um, here's another thing, though, is one of the reasons why Dalinar did this is he, he goes a little bit more into explanation. This isn't mm-hmm. just like burying something that a rich kid has to go through. Mm-hmm. Is that Rashon belongs to Sadius. He's one of Sadius's liegemen. He's an cousin to an important man whose support we needed. Dalinar knows not to mention Amaram in front of Kaladin, but Rashon. Amaram is the important cousin mm-hmm. that they need. And he originally argues that Rashon should be stripped of station and demoted. And this would have had political ramifications mm-hmm. beyond this small, unimportant hearthstone no one cares about. Yeah. And then Elokar argues for leniency and Gavilar agrees. And then Dalinar relents, figuring that mercy was not an attribute I should discourage in Elokar. And then Kaladin says, a really good zinger, I think. <laughs> of course not, Kaladin said, clenching his teeth, though it seems that such mercy often ends up serving the cousins of powerful light eyes. And rarely someone lowly. Dalinar starts to lose his temper here. Mm-hmm. Because here's the hard part is we want the world to be black and white. We want there to be good and we want there to be evil and we want it to be very clear. Clear cause and effect. Mm -hmm. But like you said, not that this, okay, I'm not trying to excuse the choices that led to this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's so many cogs turning. There's so many moving pieces that Dalinar has to try and figure out how to get mercy, has to try and figure out how to get justice, which I don't think any justice was served to the Silversmith family at yeah. all. Um, but without upsetting... Because the- Moash ends up a bridgeman. Mm-hmm. Moash joined the army. He says, hey, I want to join the army. And they said, okay. And they automatically made him a bridgeman. He doesn't have slave brands. He doesn't have slave scars. Mm-hmm. Moash signed up to be a soldier and they're like, we just need bridgemen. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a twist of fate that sent him there. So yeah. yeah, no justice there. There are just so many moving pieces. I don't know what could have been done to satisfy everyone. I don't think there is a solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's many solutions to the problem. Kill Elokar, kill Rashon, not, you know, but there's many different things you could do. But I don't think anything would have fixed this. It yeah. was events that had been set into motion that ended up with terrible consequences. Okay. And there's really there's a, a There's a difference between vengeance, justice, uh, and reparations, which is like, hey, these two silversmiths died. We should make sure that any of their surviving family gets a full apology from the throne, mm-hmm. gets their... You know, their lands, like, reinstated. Rashon should have been, like, all of Rashon's riches should have gone to, like, the community that he destroyed, all that sort of stuff. But can you do that without weakening the throne? Because can the king be wrong, quote unquote? Or the prince, in this case. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, here is the moment where Dalinar, product product of his society, makes, in my opinion, a huge misstep Mm -hmm. so he he talks about how he's promoted kaladin because he feels it is right Mm -hmm. and he says don't make me regret this 
You don't already, Kaladin asked. I've come close, Dalinar said. I understand, though. If you truly believe what you told me about Amaram, well, if I'd been in your place, I'd have been hard-pressed not to do the same thing you did. But storm it, man, you're still a dark eyes. And Kaladin says it shouldn't matter. Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. You want to change that? Well, you're not going to do it by screaming like a lunatic and challenging men like Amaram to duels. You'll do it by distinguishing yourself in the position I gave you. Be the kind of man that others admire, whether they be light-eyed or dark. Convince Elokar that a dark eyes can lead. That will change the world. Now, this paragraph is set up as a hugely positive, inspiring speech from Dalinar. Mm -hmm. This sentiment is completely wrong from start to bottom because... When you have a privileged class and an oppressed class, the oppressed class is not going to change their fate by seeking the approval of the oppressors. Right. Because it's not about approval or disapproval. It's about oppression and power. Mm -hmm. Be a very good oppressed class. And you know what? Then maybe the people of privilege will recognize that. Living peacefully within the system and not causing any waves will never change this system. And I find it interesting that Dalinar, the way that he says, like, you do it by distinguishing yourself and convincing Elokar to do this. But the thing is, like, if you're just living in a way that keeps the the light eyes comfortable, mm -hmm. they have no motivation to change the system because they're fine with the way mm -hmm. this is it's it serves them to keep the status quo so that's why i was glad that kaladin was like and this man did it like he shook everything up mm -hmm. and i loved that yeah yeah um so that's the thing so, so, socially i love what kaladin did yes but because it ruined the very specific plan to take out Sadius, I hated it. Yeah. And I, it's not that I'm like, it was the wrong thing to do. I'm embarrassed for Kaladin that that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Because now I know he gets thrown into prison for it and I hate it. So anyway. Uh, I've been singing the song Stick to the Status Quo from High School Musical in my head the whole time. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway. Uh, he talks to Syl some more, but I'd like to point something out. Mm -hmm. He's not seen Syl this whole chapter. He's only heard her voice. Yeah. He's losing his honor. Ooh. That's me in the dungeon. <laughs> that's me in the cell. Block. Losing all my honor. <laughs> Trying to keep sight of my spread. Anyway, here we go. Kaladin is like... Okay, but Kaladin doesn't see Dalinar at fault in this situation. Interesting. Kaladin says, Elokar sent him to us. So here's the thing. How old was Elokar when this happened? Oh. Elokar's... Okay, Yasna's 34. Was. Elokar's 32. Gavlar was assassinated six years ago. Mm -hmm. That would have put him at 26. Um, so... Elokar would have been early 20s when the Roshon affair happened. Okay. He would have been around Kaladin's age. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Well, I hope he figures out how to be a good king because <laughs> if he doesn't, Kaladin has a new plan. 
What's Kaladin's thought? That Moesh really was right. The kingdom would be better off without Elokar. And, okay, so this, I'm going to read the, just the, the last little bit. It was time someone stepped in and cut the ties binding Dalinar's hands for the good of the kingdom, for the good of Dalinar. Colin himself, the king, had to die. Some people, like a festering finger or a leg shattered beyond repair, just needed to be removed. I think it's interesting that he is, he's talking about murdering a man, mm-hmm. but he's like, this will free Dalinar to be a better person. Which I find really interesting that that's how he is framing this in his mind about, like, this can only do good. Yeah, this murder, while murder itself is wrong, will have a net good. And now, this sentiment is something from the first book from Kaladin's youth he was thinking because he saw his father spare Rashon mm-hmm. and then all this horrible stuff happened. So I'm I'm going to project here and say Kaladin feels this is his chance to not repeat the same mistakes his father did with Rashon. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So Hamley, what's going to happen next? I don't know. I okay. One thing really fast is, as I was reading this, and when when it's revealed that Rashon is the one that kind of, it was behind everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just like, wow. Because you, you know, you, in my mind, I was tracing through like, oh, this happened, and Rashon did this, and this, and this, and this, and this, which all led to Kaladin being here. And I was just like, because I was expecting Kaladin to tell Dalinar and then I was anticipating Dalinar to be like, well, isn't it a blessing in disguise that you're here? And I'm like, if that happens, if Dalinar says that, I'm like, but it led you to right where you needed to be. Bullshit. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. I know people are all like, oh, everything happens for a reason. No, sometimes stuff just happens. I think sometimes people just say that when they're uncomfortable and they want to not comfort the person, but to comfort themselves of like, yes, you went through this bad thing, but it's okay. No, sometimes you go through bad things and it's not okay. And that's okay. Having people say that to me after something that I went through absolutely just crushed me. Because I'm like, I don't believe that. I don't believe that anything good will come from this. And you telling me that I'm wrong, that yes, there's a purpose to all of this suffering. I didn't need to hear that at the time. I needed people to be like, yeah, this sucks. This is awful. There was really no reasoning behind it. And so the idea that someone's just like, oh, but be grateful for your trials. I'm like, "Mm, I think you can be grateful maybe for some of the things you learn. Or, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe not for everybody, but like to tell people to be like, oh, you're miserable and there's, it's okay. There's a purpose to it. Like, I, I've just decided that that, that's not for me. That's not, that's, that's not, that's not. So those are my thoughts. Those are my thoughts on that. I really hate when someone does something horrible to you and you work super hard to overcome it and do good that the thought that the person who did something horrible was, do you know what? I really did the right thing because it had a good outcome. So, Emily. Hypothetical. Kaladin gets out of prison, sucks in a bunch of stormlight, and just kills Elokar. What happens? He 
I think has to go on the run. And I think... Okay, listen. Not that I'm excited about this, but he will have to go on the run and then Amrit's going to get executed because he was supposed to be in charge of the Radiance and his man... Um. I'm going to stop you right there. I know you're so excited. Everybody knows that Amaram is not in charge of Kaladin. <laughs> but as a Radiant, they're supposed to be above such things. And he obviously isn't. Remember when Sadius killed, uh, not Larkin, what was his name? He killed the dude that, mo- that Gaz owed the money to. Yeah. Because. Lamaril. Lamaril. Because the people underneath him got out of control. So you feel... That if Kaladin broke out of prison and killed Elokar, that Dalinar would just execute Amaram. <laughs> oh, that's not what would happen. I don't know. Maybe. Does it sound like Dalinar to you? No. I think that Dalinar and, and Kaladin would then become enemies. Like, And Dalinar would be like, I knew it all along in my heart. Dark eyes can't be trusted. I don't think he would say that, say yeah. that. But I think he would be like, wow, I learned my lesson. What would Syl think about this? Syl would leave Kaladin. I don't think she would stand for that. Do you remember when Kaladin was going to sneak attack Adolin in the training ground? What happened? He Oh, he lost it. Oh! What if he does go in on an assassination kick and loses all of his powers immediately? And he gets caught? Yeah. Back to prison. <laughs> Hope you like wait stories. All right. So we're going to wrap up our reading there. Um, but let's talk about the heralds that are uh, present over this bit of the reading. So we have over chapter 11. Um, new rhythms. New rhythms. Do you recognize those two? It's Natanit. That. <laughs> I was going to say Fasher. <laughs> I don't remember. It's the bald dude with the beard. Uh-huh. And then the young boy. So, the young boy is Kalak. Okay. And the old dude is... Starts with an I. And I can't remember if it's like Ishir. I, I can't remember what his symmetrical name is. Ishi is his name. So, Ishi is about being pious and mm-hmm. guiding. And Kalak is resolute and a builder. And, uh, well, Eshenai certainly is building something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to project and say that Eshenai is shouting down her guiding light. Okay. And that's why Ishir is here to be like, hey! <laughs> no! Fleet. I don't remember the guy with the lightning. It's been a long time since we've read. It's very funny because yesterday you correctly identified him as Nalan. <laughs> <laughs> My brain doesn't hold things very well. But it's Nalan and then it's the masked person so it could stand in for anybody. But it's probably standing in for... What? Who is here in this chapter. Yes. So Kaladin is uh, buckling under the current justice system of Alethkar. And then Wit's here. All right. Here we go. Veil walks. We have Shisharish. Sh- you mean Shalash. No. Shalash? That's Chichanarach. Oh. Uh, brave and obedient with someone akin to... Uh, she's got a helmet on. Mm-hmm. And then 
uh, the hair going in all directions is Palia. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's about being learned and giving. And so by learned, I'd be like, you know what? Scholar. Mm-hmm. And then what do you think Chach is here? Brave and obedient. I think because Shalon is willing to maybe poke into her memories a little bit or try and like, not that she's going to try and remember, but she's like, well, I had these gifts before. Mm-hmm. I can do it again. And I'll try again. Well, the next chapter is called Obedience and we've got Chach there again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Who's this guy with the helmet? I don't remember. I don't the... know. <laughs> Emily, who's the guy with the hood? It's Nairesh. Nalen. Nalen. Nahusaresh is from The Thief. He's not in these books. There is no <laughs> Nahusaresh. <laughs> and then uh, the last one in... Uh, the last one in The One Who Killed Promises. Nalen and Nalen. Double justice. <laughs> is not served. Is not justice served. Justice should have been served, but it was not. <sighs> Justice has been decided to be served. All right. for And then our um, song this week is not going to be Run, Boy, Run. It will be Margaritaville yes! in honor of Wargaritaville. <laughs> so we are going to have chapter 63, A Burning World. We're so far in this book. Chapter 64, Treasures. Ooh. Chapter 65, the one who deserves it. Ooh. And then chapter 66, Storm Blessings. <gasps> Ooh. So there's two chapter titles in particular I want you to prophesy about. Okay. There's two chapters right next to each other. What is the one who deserves it about? Ooh. I feel like Moash is going to sneak into the cell, sneak into prison, to talk to Kaladin, and Kaladin will confide in him about his past rather than Dalinar. Moash already knows. He does? Kaladin's told him. Told him that it was Rashon? So, I don't think Moash knows that it was Rashon, but Kaladin has told Moash about Rashon and his past. Okay. So, I think he will reveal, if he hasn't already, reveal that, hey, we're connected. We're connected about it. And... They're going to be like, yeah, like they're just going to feed off of each other's like need mm-hmm. for revenge of like, yeah, let's go kill the king. Yeah, because Kaladin told Moash all the details about the Amaram stuff that happened. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. um, Yeah. Okay. And what are the storm blessings? I think Kaladin's going to come face to face with the storm father. It's going to be the final countdown. It's going to be the final high storm. Or he's going to get a power up or something that, like, will earn him the name. Because that's a nickname that he has received because he survived the high storm. But I think, I think people are going to see him power up. So Now, you should know we are 66% of the way through this book. We're two-thirds of the way through. So we are nowhere close to the Sanderlands. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. There is a whole storyline that I am always like, that happens so early in the book. And I always forget <laughs> it's in the back third. But anyway. Oh, I'm excited. And I, it's four chapters, but it is a pretty short reading. We're only going to do 30 pages, but I know we're going to talk. 
Like we talked today. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheap, 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 talk a lot, talk a little more. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to us to ruminate on philosophy, violence, justice, cause and effect, Rube Goldberg machines. And idiocy. And idiocy. My name is Megan, and I'm going to change out of my pajamas. Okay. My name is Emily, and I'm going to enjoy the day. All right. Well... I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready? Ready? Break! Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Uh, We want to give a special little shout-out to the Transformers fanfic series Xenothenography by Dashta underscore MTE on Archive of Our Own, with the first entrance of that being Cultural Exchange. I think Emily's going to put it in the show notes, but if you want to read more about the Transformers fanfic we talked about, there you go. Uh, also, as always, our deepest thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, as our intro and outro. Tune in next week, April 20th, on our Roswell feed as we near the very end of season two of Roswell. Oh my gosh, I can hardly believe it also. And then we'll be back April the 27th with another episode of Words of Radiance. And great news, you guys. The Renaissance Fair starts on Saturday, so get ready for me to update you all the time on my Ren Fair adventures. Okay, I hope you have a great rest of your day and get done everything you want to. I know you can because that's right, I believe in you.